The market is smart. It knows what it wants. We're not smart enough to tell the market what it wants. We're smart enough to read what the market wants and then find out what it's deciding that it wants. Then we give it more of what it wants. We're not arguing. We're not fighting with it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals. And we invite interesting, intelligent people on to help us. And if you thought that there was nothing going on in the Ozarks, you are about to be very much surprised because today's guest, Neil Twa, is going to blow your mind with what he's doing out of that little flyover area. <laughs> wow. Don't Neil get that. That's such a heavy start to that. And by the way, it's not Ozarks like the episode or binge watching. I'm seeing all my friends be like, Ozarks is on. Like, no, I'm not part of that Ozarks, just to be very clear. <laughs> No movie stars today. <laughs> yeah, well, not, well, not even in the what I don't even know the show. It's like drug dealing or other things or mafia stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I'm like, not a big whatever that part watcher, of it but... is. I'm not a part of that. Just to be very clear. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, nothing. We're not talking about like cooking meth here. We're talking nothing about... nefarious happening out here in the country. Yes, yeah. not on my side, anyways. So first, like, whet our appetite with what kind of stuff you're doing today. Like, just two seconds. Like, this sure. is how I'm going to blow your mind, and then tell us how you found that. Well, I'm going to give you a quick uh, methodology for how you can build a six and seven figure business on Amazon in the next six to 12 months. Beautiful. And everybody and how wants to, profit everybody from wants it, to know that. Yeah. Well, most yeah. importantly, how to profit. That's what really, really matters. Yeah, that's true. Actually, you can build mm -hmm. a very big business that does not make you any significant money. You absolutely <laughs> can do that. And you can tell everybody it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. When I've you're living in a trailer down. Business. Yeah. Uh, when you're in your trailer. Figures of debt. Yeah. <laughs> or live streaming from your grandma's basement. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And Break it's that legal. One. That's another yes, one. <laughs> totally legal. Only fans for Amazon, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Neil, how did you find this? How, what, what's your background? Have you always okay. been like super successful entrepreneur, man? Oh, no, that would be a lie. And if I tried to pontificate that, I'd eventually get caught up in that lie. I, I am a product of a very hardworking, uh, less than mid-class family that I grew up in. My dad, God bless him, he's a hardest worker I know. Uh, and he did the, you know, as much as and best as he could and worked the graveyard shifts and just did everything he could to take care of us. And he just didn't have the skills and knowledge and, and obviously some of the academia required for him to get up in, in the world, but he did, a, he did a great job. But, you know, to make money when I was young, to get money from the house or beyond what I needed and wanted to do, I had to find some work. So when I was 12, I was cutting lawns, had a little lawn mowing business around, got about 20 yards uh, in the area that I was making money. So I had cash and money to pay for gas and stuff when I could. And that was kind of how I started to earn a little bit of side hustle. Uh, you know, mo most of the things in my house were taken care of. We didn't live in dirt floors and this kind of stuff. Um, but we, you know, we did what we could do and that was great. And it was a, a good hard work ethic that was learned. But I also learned from an uncle who was an entrepreneur who started a boating company and did a very uh, good job with that business. And so I got to see the dichotomy between those relationships and had many conversations with him that kind of leveled up my mindset in my brain. And I was thinking about getting into business and, you know, as I went through uh, high school and I was thinking about going to college and I was thinking about all the stuff we do and everybody's filling our head with what to do next kind of conversations. Um, eventually, actually, I settled on the military. I was going to go into the Air Force. Uh, I was going to be a fighter pilot. That's what I had my heart set on. I went down to the recruiting offices and went through the process and then got rejected because I'm too tall, uh, too oh, tall, too big. I wanted to fly the fighter pilot. <laughs> it was all fighter jets or nothing whatsoever. And they're like, dude, sorry, you can maybe fly helicopters or C-130 transports or these kinds of things. And I'm like, that's too slow. <laughs> so like my fallback position was a music scholarship. I played jazz and classical music. I went all state in Oregon. Uh, I got music scholarship to go to a liberal arts college in Iowa. So I took it. 
uh, I'm headed out from Oregon to Iowa and uh, spent the poor, better portion of three years failing out of college miserably twice, three times, got back in. Decided I was going to live in a van down by the river, as I like to joke, if I kept up with the music career, uh, and then switched to, to business and computer science. That's kind of a weird change, but in terms <laughs> of creativity, in terms of business, in terms of, you know, uh, the, the rhythm of business or the, the computer science component of programming and the, and the language and the syncopation, as well as the mathematics, it all added up and found I had a, an aptitude for that. I also realized I didn't want to sit in front of a computer for the rest of my life typing on a green screen and programming. Uh, and so I dropped out of college to try to figure out how to get into e-commerce. I'd ran a little e-commerce side hustle site, almost we called it bargain guys. It was like a little bit of an eBay localized to the college where we would do swaps with people and kind of make money in between. And they would be able to put their stuff and sell their stuff on the little local campus. And so I always had an aptitude for that. But college at that point, not super old guy, but internet was coming online and it was like, what's going to happen? Where do you figure this out? And of course, either at the university and the you know computer sciences department where they were spending money or in the corporate world where they were spending money was where you could actually get your hands wet with little experience and get started because no one knew what they were really doing. And so I went in the corporate world and I spent the better part of about 12 years raising myself up across to consulting gigs and programming into business and management and got into Sprint before the PCS mobile division launched and got to see the first launch of the first mobile phone. Uh, got to oversee the customer support and technical management and had a, a team that was running all the support documentation. Got into knowledge management, which nobody even knows much about these days because uh, computers are so smart, but it was all about systemized learning and tacit and implicit knowledge and all this stuff. And we were organizing it to make phone calls go faster and customer support because they were growing so fast. Uh, I was the 5,000th employee pulled together into Sprint from all of its divisions to launch this mobile phone group. And by the time I left five years later, it was 80,000 people and 25,000 reps. So it had grown into just full hyper growth, which was amazing to watch. I used to joke that you could go into the enterprise and literally pull a plug from the wall somewhere and the whole thing would shut down. It was just bailing wire, you know, duct tape and, and wire <laughs> holding that thing together, just launching phones as fast as people were consuming them. And it was very fascinating to watch the inside of that growth. Uh, yeah, I got in on a project, did very well with the project, had a lot of success and accolades inside the corporation because of that. Uh, there was partners from IBM that were there supporting the project, and one of them picked me up and said, hey, we want you to come work for IBM. Uh, flew me out to a handshake in Armonk. Literally, I showed up. They were like, nice to have you here. Shook my hand. Here's your job. Left Armonk. So I went to work for IBM and spent about four, almost five years inside of that company until about 2007, um, building uh, search engines within uh, you know, the customer service side, technical side, business and processes and knowledge engines for e-commerce companies inside of companies with, with IBM and got to see, you know, Wall Street and Financial and Thomson, which is now Thomson Reuters, and got to be a side of Ryzen and set in the boardrooms of all these companies and did some amazing things. But when they said it's time to go to Argentina, I said, no, thank you. <laughs> that was in 2007. Like, I'm going to get married. I want to start a family. I don't want to go to Argentina. <laughs> which, as it turns out now, is a really smart move, not just because I didn't want to move there, but because there's so much trouble in Argentina. So long story short, um, I'm rambling and I got to be careful with this, but I grew into, you know, management and consulting. I learned how to start marketing online more my own business than things I was sort of side hustling. And I had a game server company that was doing VoIP gaming for people before you could do it in Zoom and on the phones and stuff. We were communicating with people across the world on servers where we were they were paying us to communicate with each other, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, and got into affiliate marketing, which was basically, you know, I had a great aptitude for that creativity and, and the music and the business side and stuff and the numbers. And so I started to get really great at, you know, taking media traffic and getting people to convert to an offer. 
got a couple of companies, Series A's funding because of it, and they exploded and really well. And so I was pretty good at it and decided, hey, I should start doing that for myself. Uh, and then I got involved in the company where it really crashed on me. So the pros and the cons, I had a huge, you know, I had the, the worldly fear of going bankrupt. I did it. Um, it was a strategic benefit to what was going to be, you know, legal issues when I discovered that accredited investors were putting money into a company that my partners were literally siphoning money out the back of uh, in double books, which I was not aware of. But when all that came to light, I got indemnified and moved out and all the legal things were removed. But it was a strategic business move to file bankruptcy in order to move out. So I had to reinvent myself. <laughs> like, well, what next? I got skills in marketing. I could go back to work. Don't really want to do that. I'm totally unemployable now. Uh, and what do I want to do next? And it's like, well, e-commerce has always been the part of my life and in some capacity. Let me just make that my full focus. And as I was getting into the mode of doing that, a friend introduced me to Amazon and said, hey, did you know you could sell products on Amazon? And I'm like, OK, let me check this out. Quick look. Amazon's a giant search engine for products. And I thought, well, that's really clever because people want to buy stuff and there's traffic and there's products and I can figure this out, right? Let me see what I can do. In the process of that, I ran into a gentleman um, who is now my business partner still nine years later. Uh, his name's Reed. And we he was sort of on a different path coming to the same conclusions. And he's the opposite side of the coin from me. He's more of the logistics, detailed, analytical genius. And I'm the more ADHD business, you know, marketing, networking, a growth guy over here and we're like hey we're two sides of the same coin um which is great because we either love each other or hate each other depending upon which day it is <laughs> um but we basically discovered we had this aptitude we started launching products we we took advantage of what's called amazon's fulfilled by amazon system it was a company uh that they purchased to deliver products to the customers you would know it now if you hit add to cart on your amazon app which a lot of you probably do two to three times a day um <laughs> and stuff shows up every week and it's in your door and wow this big thing happens i ordered a product and it shows up and you miss all the middle logistic stuff that occurs uh with all of that well it's a big system and they spent like 15 billion dollars putting it together and it literally lets me take a product that i never touch uh, i don't have employees manager warehouses to oversee it go from a, a purchase click all the way to the customer without me ever touching it. Amazon's system allows me to do that. So that way I can operate in 40 acres in the country with no warehouses and employees, and I can scale seven, eight-figure companies and brands off of that platform. So we learned how to do that, and we spent the last almost nine years now involved in the systems and creating software and processes and building eight brands of our own and exiting some of them and growing others while teaching. Uh, about 500 people now how to do what we do. Many have gone on to have enormous successes. Everybody likes to land their unicorn story. I'll tell you that, you know, average is six to seven figures in sales across my business builders, but every once in a while you get a unicorn. I have a podcast coming out here shortly that I did with him last week, and he, can, he, he gave me some insights after not talking to him for a little bit uh, that he sold that company for 72 million last year. Uh, which was an Amazon FBA business we started with him in 2014. So he's my unicorn. Um, he results are not typical. Uh, you know, there's a little <laughs> disclaimer across the bottom. Uh, be careful while doing this. You might get injured. Um, he he's a case study in, in, in a business growth and process hacking. And you know, he took the stuff that we taught him and the methodology and the game plan and strategies and what we showed him about the system. And you know, he did his own thing into to developing a, off of that and got some you know tremendous success off it which is wonderful. Yeah. So we're very much focused on brand building and marketing and incubating products inside of Amazon to prove that they're wanted, that they're in demand, that people will pay good money and make it profitable. And 
then we can take them out to the mass market if we want. Um, we can move them out into retail and wholesale and distributions and QVC and anywhere else uh, the product types can be sold once we've proven them on Amazon. Interesting. Wow. That's quite a, quite a winding road. <laughs> yeah, that was like, hey, take 30 seconds to explain something in 15 minutes now. <laughs> I wasn't I a very talk too long. I just meant like, you know, it's, it's no. just interesting how the universe takes us on this path. Well, you know? it's a memory journey to explain it back to you a little bit in the nuances <laughs> of, of kind of reliving some of those things, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, because there's so many good and bad things that occurred during that time frame. You know, there's there's the the cons, of course, going bankrupt. There was family issues and death and, and near death experiences with my wife and even my children and you know, all the other life that happens. I'm not immune to it. I'm not sitting here, you know, having now successful results and, and good business things, uh, but off the failure of others and having to reinvent things of, of failure in the past and opportunities and change, being adaptable, being versatile. That's what we really need to do, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And persistence, right? That's the key oh, to tenacity. any kind of success. Yeah. I've never talked to anybody almost like said... a mule. <laughs> I did talk to one person one time who told me, you know, oh, I was just very, I was always very talented and I had like 20 things I could do really well. And then uh -huh. I just picked one and now I'm a millionaire. And I thought, boring. <laughs> boring. And also I sort of don't believe that because right? <laughs> there are, <laughs> there are literally things that I know I'm not good at strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Like what's referred to exactly. as, as a SWOT analysis, right? Um, you know, getting a little older and getting through a lot of those challenges all the way from, you know, divorce and dealing with the output of that and, and struggling with the confidence of that and having to come back from it to getting remarried eventually and a wonderful woman who unfortunately and had so a lot of medical conditions initially and with our first child and uh, to the point where she was uh, high, high risk for death and then she did die at one point on the table and she oh died from some surgeries later on and it was just a crazy time. She's much stronger, much healthier now, not to sound all doom and gloom, but you know, things are just challenges. They're lives. So we all have excuses or opportunities. We have uh, ways of looking at things more, you know, in scarcity. And of course we have to look at things in more abundance. Uh, there was always abundance in the midst of those storms. It's easier to see it now than it was walking through the middle of those challenges. Absolutely. Uh, but one of the things about that, I think people who are tenacious and, and those I've seen and, and uh, admired uh, is their willingness to uh, do what Jim Collins called in good to great, look at the, you know, the rock, pull it up and look at those squiggly, nasty things underneath it and face it, um, face it and feel that fear, right? And and realize that it, it can't necessarily defeat you unless you let it defeat you. Um, it's always a choice at the end of the day. We have a choice for everything we do, regardless Absolutely. if sometimes we feel like it or not, right? <laughs> yeah. And once you get that rock up, all that stuff starts to die when you expose it to the sun, so. That's exactly right. Sun kills a lot. <laughs> Bring things into the light and many things change. And sometimes you just need to get in the light yourself when you're in a dark place, whether that's business or personal or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, someone can bring you into that or you can help bring yourself into it. Um, but there's always that opportunity to step in the light and, you know, let the bad things die. Definitely. So do you feel like you had almost like a rich dad, poor dad sort of opportunity with your uncle and your dad? You know, I, I never thought about it that way until the book came out. And, <laughs> you know, he was a, he was um, uh, my uncle was a great uh, mentor. I mean, he was a fall explain, have you thought about this kind of person without being very pushy, but sort of leading me to some understanding, some of which I wish I'd now taken more advantage of when I was younger, I may have had a little bit less heartache. However, I love the path I'm on now with the people that I'm on and therefore I would not have gone back ultimately and changed it or because right. I wouldn't want to change anything about right now. Right. Uh, so the end result is he gave me some insights into thinking more abundantly 
whereas my life had not necessarily been built on scarcity. There were just more things that were scarce than were available. Uh, but I learned that if I needed to get them, that there was an opportunity to go work for them. And as I got stronger in that realization and he helped me overcome some of those feelings and thoughts, yeah, I guess it is a little bit like a rich dad, poor dad. I mean, he built a great business. He did some amazing things. He set the, he built a boat business and then one of the boats he launched uh, set the speed record between San Diego and Hawaii. And when yeah, I watched him fun. do that, I thought that's amazing. He innovated, he was creative. I love the creativity of music and he did a business and I wanna learn more about how to be that way. And so, yeah, it really kind of challenged me to look at things uh, as to really in simple terms, if, if he could do it, why couldn't I? So I think that's where a mentorship really evolves, isn't it? In its base case, it has to do with if that person can do it. And while I'm not willing to pick on them for some of their flaws or things I might think are different or about me or maybe a little weird or idiocentric or eccentric or whatever, it is that I can I sort of, sort of see myself doing what they're doing. And if I can, then I can start to position my mind and myself physically and mentally into that space. And I, it's it's more of that mindset change than it has to do with any activity of business or any activity of life. It literally has to do with whether or not I'm willing to shift myself into that mode, get into that gear, get into that place. And he helped me expand that. Now, unfortunately, I didn't get to uh, be a part of his life longer. He, he uh, in 2006, um, I'm going to date this bad, somewhere around that time frame, four or six, somewhere around those uh, memory serves me correctly. Uh, he had an ultralight aircraft accident and he oh. died. Uh, on takeoff. And so he was, uh, you know, a gentleman who had a lot more, I think, uh, definitely to offer and the conversations I could have as I got older and the insights I would have garnished. I, I greatly missed that time with him uh, to be able to share those things. But he left me with a very good understanding uh, of the aspects of business and life that are so much more abundant than I saw at that moment. He opened a whole window to opportunities I didn't see. With my dad, uh, you know, in the mechanical space and working under the cars and being a hands-on guy and, and being a, a tough guy, eight eight years as a sailor in the Navy, um, fought in Vietnam, um, just a, an amazing man, a loving, caring man uh, who has shown compassion and, and just simple love in the way he treats us and the way he treats my children uh, as a papa. Um, is just an amazing thing to, to witness, um, to, to just the core values he installed in me as a person. I never have recognized until much later in life uh, how that set the tone um, for some of the ways I dealt with things that were difficult for me in the past. I didn't actually recognize that those, those were coming from him, and I give him the credit now. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. It's nice, too, that he's still around. He can, Absolutely. He can, hear, he can hear you give him the credit. <laughs> he's turning 80 in uh, March, um, still strong as an ox. He, he lives on the hilltop here with us. Uh, my parents retired here from Oregon on five acres. Literally, nice. the girls can go down the dirt road uh, to visit their in, uh, you know, grandpa, uh, which is really, really cool to have. Yeah. That's really have nice. That interaction. Yeah. So do you think, you know, as you were talking about your dad and your uncle, you know, one of the differences surely that, you know, it's the five minute mile, right? As soon as someone says, you don't actually have to just work more and more and more hours you yeah. can work in a different way so that all of a sudden your money's making money and, you know, other people are helping to add to your, you know, pot and, you know, it just like that mindset yep. shift, right? That's it's a five minute mile. That's a very good one. Yeah. All of a it, sudden, it really gets like, down to it because it isn't just about the physicality per se. It's about the uh, overcoming. It's about the pushing your past your own mental barriers and everybody has those and they're, you know, uh, some of it's referred to as a runner's high if you're, if you're talking about distance. 
um, breaking through the wall. I mean, there's a lot of different phrases people will use. You can garnish them in business and life is, is kind of like that. Um, I may not be running a race, but we're all trying to accomplish something. We want to uh, get a better job. We want to get out of the job we're in. We want a, a new business. We want a different business. We want you know a different revenue stream. We want a different opportunity uh, to diversify, change, get more knowledge, you know, expand. We're always moving and evolving in some capacity, right? Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean we have to hit a five minute mile because not everybody wants that. <laughs> um, exactly. I had a chance to hit a five minute mile last year, you know, and I think that would have been, you know, it's, you talk about present. That's a little past. If we if we talk about present here, something that presently occurred uh, to me last quarter, well, third quarter, something I've been working on for years kind of materialized. Uh, and that was in my space of e-com specifically around this Amazon and it's what's called fulfilled by Amazon in the, in the physical products and private label space of e-com. Um, there had been an opportunity for businesses around 24 months ago to be involved in what are called Amazon aggregators. They're uh, special purpose acquisition company SPACs that have to do with bringing in capital to acquire companies under a management structure to grow those companies, obviously for the profit of the shareholders. The end result was I got approached by an idea to do that within Voltage, and I launched a, a division called Voltage Portfolios. Its specific goal was hedge fund, increased corporate funds, private investor equities that would buy companies, and Voltage as a management structure and team would run those FBA channels to growth, secondary execution, secondary exiting, uh, from that to different tiers uh, that we would go out and help identify and purchase those companies and then manage them. It's pretty sexy. Uh, Seven billion dollars have been spent in acquiring those companies since that happened. Uh, I was approached by a corporate governance uh, team and the lead uh, person in that business to who, who basically you know handed out the fifty to one hundred million dollars from that company for uh, you know diversifying shareholder funds. And we got down to the brass tacks, and we had to make a decision: do we want to take on that amount of capital? Uh, to raise up and go buy these companies and do that. And we had a heart to heart with my partner and my wife and his wife. And we really, you know, all of it was coming to a reality. And you're never sometimes faced with that decision uh, when it actually becomes the point where you are going to make it a reality. And when it started to happen, um, it became obvious that the situation hadn't changed. Our perception was starting to change about the values of some of those things. And some of the cons started to move to pros and some of the pros started to move to cons. And when we sort of weighed that out, we realized, yes, we could absolutely do it. However, would it be a crime of opportunity? And would the outcome negatively impact personalized relationships, our personal relationship as business partners, our families, our lives, the employees, actually, we don't have any employees, the contractors that worked in our business, and the infrastructure of our clients that we built. And those were the most of the cons. And because of that, we said no, uh, we turned it down. And, you know, some of that would be part, I think, of everyone wants to grow to that next level. And Neil, this was the next level. Like you were about to like, and why wouldn't you do that, man? And it's like, well, it's that question we all reach, I think, at some point when we're trying to evolve in business or even in our own professional lives. And if you're if you're working a job, do I want that next level? What does it actually mean? Truly, is it just monetary driven or am I being a little more scarcely minded or, or in a scarcity mindset, I'm not recognizing at this point about the other variables that that would impact or, or am I just driven to get to that next level because I've always been trying to get to another level. And now this is that level, ha, ah, you know, the heavens open up <laughs> ah. and it's like, well, no, I don't, I don't want to disrupt. 
my flow. I don't want to disrupt the fact that I'm with my children every day and that we homeschool and that we're here and my family is here and we've created a community and we've created a lifestyle in which our business uh, is driving the lifestyle, but ultimately the lifestyle drives the business. And because of that, it was about to be completely inverted. The business was about to completely change the lifestyle. And there's the option between you know growth and wealth and what is real wealth in this world? Is it money? Is it your health? Everybody defines it slightly differently. Right. Uh, we basically got down to, well, you know, health is very important. <laughs> it's always been important. We just all sort of got a little more focused on it uh, as to whatever, you know, buddy defines as their own way or path to health. And in terms of wealth, what do you define that as? Well, I define it as my family is here. They are, we're all in a good place together and we have this time to spend when we're here. Uh, we are purposeful in our intent. We don't have to do certain business activities if I don't want to. Uh, I can shift them off and I can leave my business without worrying about it collapsing behind me, which is something even people in my area can't do uh, or are trying to achieve. I'm not talking about passive income per se. I'm talking as much about lifestyle driven income that has passive aspects to it. Yeah. It is almost automated. It doesn't necessarily make it completely automated, but I can also go to a month in the beach if I want to and the whole thing doesn't collapse. Right. Um, or I could even step away for a month and the whole thing doesn't collapse. And that to me is wealth. Yeah. It's something that I never honestly understood until I faced enough of those battles and had to change directions. And so in the present, uh, what we did was we sort of reshifted our priorities as we went into December and started to look at, you know, what are those things that really don't need to be focused on? What are those things that really you know, maybe there are opportunities, maybe they're just crimes of opportunity. Uh, is it all, it's not all about profit driven for our business, although getting a business that's profitable is extremely important. And I'm sure <laughs> we'll talk about that. But it isn't the primary focus because we're the shareholders and therefore we can drive what we determine is the value of the business, not someone else driving the value of the business or the time we have to do. And suddenly we felt like we were going to become employees. So yeah. December was all about how do we stay in this continued growth with staying in a lifestyle while still being intentionally, purposefully driven for the results of our clients. And it's always been something I'm extremely focused on. Uh, we were joking in the green room about my last name, you know, being not an accolade, not an MBA, <laughs> not a PhD. It's literally <laughs> TWA. And because of that, you can Google me and I can't hide. And, you know, I, I like my reputation right where it is. And I don't want it to be destroyed by one opportunistic thing. And even letting people into my business to become part of our clients and stuff, I always vet them personally. I don't have a sales team. I want to know who they are and what they're involved and how tenacious they are and what they really understand before I let them get involved. Um, because I want to keep that integrity of my reputation and I don't want to be destroyed. And so I'm proud that people can go out and Google who I am and find out who I'm about and, and listen to what I'm doing and the people that are around me and uh, understand this. And I think uh, what I feel is true sincerity of drive and, and, and relationships more than it is just profit and how many more people I can sign up or how much more business I'm going to do. Uh, yeah. When faced with that, I know what I'm going to do now. Yeah. Um, but we're not always faced with that, are we? It's interesting. You remind me of this. Um, it's not really a joke. It's more like a parable kind of thing. I'm glad I don't remind you of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. It's a story where this yeah. lawyer goes on vacation and he's, you know, he's sitting there at, at the seaside and he sees this fisherman and, you know, he's got a small boat and he's coming in and, you know, he works for a couple hours a day and he gets his fish. And, and the lawyer's like, you know, why aren't you, you know, you, you could build a fleet and you could get all these people working for you and you can do all this stuff and you could build this huge, you know, fishing conglomeration and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and each, at each step, 
the guy goes, and then what would I do? And so he's like, you know, you could, you, why don't you, you could get another boat. And then what would I do? And then what would I, and at the end he's like, well, then you could, you know, take a week off and come. <laughs> it's yep. like, don't you get it? My whole life is a vacation. Like It's already the there. Point. Why would I try to add more complexity and convolution to that? Just to get back gotta, to the same place. Yeah. <laughs> now I got to fuel up two 300 gallon yachts, right? Like what, what am I doing with that? Yeah. yeah, it isn't, it is a very important understanding. And it, it comes to me to a phrase uh, that I adapted, I think, for me, and that was feel the fear and do it anyways, which is, you know, I do act imperfectly at times and my ADHD is there a little bit, but I also have put a system of people around me, including my partner, who are either there to say, that's a really dumb idea, um, or hey, you know, there might be some merit to that. And then I jump off the cliff, they go with me. I don't have a parachute and they're usually building the parachute for me on the way down <laughs> because it's pushed forward and imperfectly knowing that if I get moving, something perfect is going to happen along the way. It is a progress, not a destination. And that's basically what we were referring to. It was not a destination of how many yachts. It's like I'm always right. in progress. I'm moving along. Why would I, you know, what's the end result? Right. Right. Um, and I always have the phrase too. what's the worst that could happen? So what's the worst that can happen? I've already faced it. I've faced uh, mortality myself. I've faced uh, feelings of insecurity and worth to the point where one night in a road in Kansas City, it's on uh, Highway 70 going through the middle of town in a sports car doing 125 plus miles an hour, deciding life really wasn't worth it and just about pulled into a barrier. Like I'm willing to tell you that because I'm here now because I didn't make that choice, but I could have and it was really going to be an easy one because who cares, right? And I know that there's people feel that and I've been divorced and I understand that and I've been bankrupt and I get that. And I literally feel like I've lived two or three lives because <laughs> I have to reinvent myself two or three times and deal <laughs> with all of those struggles. But I also feel like that was given to me. I feel like that's a purpose driven aspect of why I'm here, why I uh, have this this life, this story uh, is to drive others to an understanding that there's, there's a greater power. Um, there are greater things than just ourself, and it usually revolves around other people. It usually revolves around serving others first and then gaining benefits from that after. And having taken that now attitude through the changes of my life, yeah, I'm the guy on the boat who who's just sitting on the on the dock, excuse me, just sitting there with my little boat, having a fishing time and enjoying the world go crazy because I don't see the purpose in that. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, there's opportunities to grow, but at what cost? And that's the things, you know, as I look forward from present activities and choices that we're making, none of them impact that, right? None of them are making decisions about which yacht is next. It's more about like, hey, the girls need braces. Are we gonna get braces <laughs> or not, right? Uh, it's other decision-making things. You know, it's clients that wanna scale and go after those yachts, great. I've taken people to do that. I'll help you if that's where you wanna go. And along the way, you're probably gonna get some seeds of wisdom about what is good and bad about that, if you're willing to listen to it. Yeah. And maybe along the way, your perception or reality of perception or even choices may change a little bit. Uh, to determine whether or not you really want that or not. Or maybe you just think you do, and maybe I can help you see through some of that. So I give people that. And if you don't, and you just want to create something that is purposeful or gives you a change in life, or you know what I refer to as entrepreneurs who are working a job like I was, thinking, okay, what is the next step? And I reached the end of IBM, and it's like, now what? Like, I've peaked at the top of here. I can keep trying to climb the IBM chain, but I really don't have any interest in doing that. So again, what's next? And for me, it was the obvious choice. This is my time that I've been waiting for to do my own thing. And I became an on, you know, an entrepreneur, not an intrapreneur, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because now all the other responsibilities kicked in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that not everybody feels when you're an entrepreneur. But um, 
So my present is really about growing those brands and helping my clients achieve whatever, you know, yachts or dinghies that they want to roll around in <laughs> um, and helping them grow while continuing to create, you know, great brands that have a servant leadership attitude with the products and serve a particular audience, not just for pure profit only. It's about brand and value and quality, uh, which are big segments of what we do. Um, obviously, the business and the products are profitable and we're going to continue to do that. Our Clients are being serviced through growth and opportunities in nine years and over 100 million in FBA sales so collectively through my groups, way more than that, but I'd sound stupid when I say it anyway, so I got to be, <laughs> it's a lot more. I have one client, as I just mentioned, who did a whole lot more than that. Um, he was doing between 50 to 60 million a year, but the whole purpose is, you know, he wanted to do that, and so he was able, and that was his thing. Yeah. Um, this year, we're going to keep focused on our clients. We're going to keep focused on their growth. There's a lot of opportunity in e-commerce. It's a very fast exponentially fast growing market. It was at 3.8 trillion in 2019 and 2020 through 21, it's jumped to a 4.8 and it's gonna be 5.4 trillion this year and 6.8 trillion in 2024. So it is literally gonna double in about four years. So I feel like I'm on the cusp of what becomes the future of e-com, future of online transactions, the future of business and, and watching that sort of mature is really powerful, but also realizing, you know, I'm playing still in the small pond. Amazon only makes up 30% of the sales uh, of, of e-com in the United States. The other 70% is all the rest of the dot-coms, all the rest of the online business. And so we're just, we're in one little thing. It's it's kind of strange. People, you know, think about these corporations being mega maniacs and in some ways, maybe they are, and in some ways, maybe they aren't. Um, but the thing I like about where I'm at with Amazon, I think about I like, and, and some people don't always appreciate this, but what I appreciate is that, you know, over 70% of the sellers, the third-party sellers and the business that's done on Amazon is, is people like us. It's everyday average people, small businesses, only 1% of those sellers make up corporations. The other component, of course, is Amazon itself selling and, uh, and dealing with its own, you know, products. But the majority of the products, uh, the majority of the $630 million of sales a day on Amazon goes to third-party sellers. So I know that when people are first getting on e-com, when they're first getting started, when they first want to sell their product, the biggest objections to time and what do I sell and will it actually sell and can I get people to see my products are overcome in that, in that marketplace. Um, once they're overcome, you can take them to a lot of different places. And so it's got a lot of people who've never sold an e-com before, success. Success and profitable success, which is fun to watch, especially as they cut their teeth on business, many of them for the first time, especially as entrepreneurs yeah, um, and helping them walk that. So as we go into the present and the future, um, we're going to be really focused on helping people go farther and faster, even down to uh, a service we're launching this year uh, called MVP, Most Valuable Products. After nine years, the software, all the data points, taking our successful products and clients' products and putting their data points together mapping it out over the last nine months with our engineers and coming up with an algorithm that goes out and finds all these thousands of data points and then pulls back the products that hit all those data points from all of our successful products across my clients and myself we've developed a data warehouse of products that is the cream of the crop and what it does is in essence removes product research um, we go in we choose a category we choose a base we choose three of the what are called nodes i know it's got a technical term in the marketing world it would be called a niche um, in, in the marketing world. And it literally spits out the products that are going to sell highest ROI, highest sales velocity, lowest saturation, most competitive in the marketplace, uh, most able to literally be dominated with our tactics and presents the, just those products. 
uh, and they all fit a green light process methodology that we developed um, with the software methodology and stuff. It's about to be a uh, patent process. I mean, we have a ability to patent that based on its uniqueness. And so our builders are getting access to start seeing those products. And they are going to say 50, 100 plus hours of product research by literally going into our database and picking those products, going to my sourcing agents, and then launching the products. Bloop. And they can do that all within a week. <laughs> yeah. So it's nine years of evolution down to one week's worth of work. How's that for fun? That's nice. Progress. Yeah. So that's the future of this year for us. We're going to be working on the growth of that and the it's in beta. So these, you know, trusted insiders are giving us some really great data, some really great feedback, some ways to make it move correctly, uh, things that they see positive and negative. Um, and so we're going to adapt that and continue to roll that forward because it is an, an advantage. It's an innovation in the market and it's an innovation we haven't been able to pull off since 2014 when we first innovated algorithms and the PPC component of what we did that led the market and turned into most of the Amazon sellers sellers tactics that are out there now, including a lot of the coaches, uh, even some of the businesses I was mentioning earlier, use the strategies that we deployed uh, and taught everybody how to do uh, back in 2014. So as we move forward, you know, we're excited to be innovating once again uh, in a very unique way for, for only those who get involved behind our NDAs. Um, because we're operators and scale and business is, you know, it's an opportunity for those who want to present it. So the future right now is about moving those services forward and getting results. Perfect. So Neil, like back, let's back up and talk through for somebody who, you know, buys on Amazon, but sure. doesn't really understand how all of this stuff works. Like how would yeah. I go about choosing a product and where do yeah. I, you know, Am I going to now source it myself? Am I buying another company? Like yeah. how, how did some, what are some of the logistics? Well, there's about three to four sort of steps. Let me give them to you. Okay. Uh, in terms of the product, it's, it's literally the question, you know, what the heck am I going to sell? Um, insert line or explicitive, depending upon which direction <laughs> I go. Um, it literally gets down to the product. Like, what am I going to sell? It's the biggest challenge most sellers face. It's also the difference between great success in a product or brand uh, versus marginal to limited success. The idea that one of those products doesn't sell at all is usually not the case. It's just it doesn't sell to expectations or even elevated expectations of a like a mid base and a high case. If anybody understands what that means, it's just business terminology for what you project a business will do and how far and fast it's going to go. We all want the high case. And that is, you know, we're making millions a month and I'm buying my sports cars and houses. And, yay! Well, <laughs> base case is more realistic and can grow into the next levels of, of your business and growth if you're setting a good foundation. And the foundation is built on understanding an avatar or a profile of a person. So if you are a person who buys an Amazon, let's just imagine for a second, you're going to your Amazon uh, list, your, your Amazon uh, profile, you're going in your accounts and you're looking at your last 90 days of product history. Because if you're probably listening to this, you're most likely an Amazon Prime person of some kind and you've bought stuff on Amazon in the last 90 days. As a consumer, you're looking at those products for the solutions, the health, the wellness, the run faster or jump higher or, you know, new shoes for the kids or a new tablecloth for this or I've got a party so I grab lights. You're looking at something, the solution or event or feeling based and you're purchasing based on one of those decision models. So in step one, it's to identify sort of how you fit into that model. And if you just so happen to be a woman 27 plus, uh, and or you are married to one or a girlfriend or a significant other or, you know, a friend who's one of those or fits into that policy, you're going to find that that's the 80% of buyers on Amazon. OK, 
Okay, they're women 27 plus applying for the household. And if you look at the last 90 days of sales history, what you're going to want to try to change your brain into is what I call a white car syndrome. And this is the idea that I see this product. Did I ever see it before? Would I ever see it again? If I really stop and think about it, when was the last few times I saw that product and what solution was it trying to solve? Let me let me give you an example. Uh, decide that I want to buy a white car one day and I get up and I'm like, this is my white car and I want the, want the leather and I want this trim and I want it fully tricked out and such and such. And then I want it to be a, you know, a Ford Expedition or something. I don't know, Ford Explorer. So I go down to the dealer of the Ford and it's like, hey, this is my car. Boom, boom, boom. And they're like, here's your white car. And you're like, woo, this is the one I wanted. You're so excited. It's selling it online, blah, blah. Uh, drive out. So as you're driving out of the lot in your new white car, so happy and excited about the world, you look to your left and you notice, hey, wait a second. There's another one just like that setting. Where was was that one there when I drove in? Honey, did you remember that car when I drove in? No, I don't remember that car. Okay. And then you're driving out and get past the lot. Oh, what? there's another one like right over there. Did you say what? I didn't see that one either. 20 minutes on the way home. Guess what? You see like 10 more of those cars. You never saw them before. What happened? Where did they come from? Did 10 white cars suddenly just drive into your perspective? Or did your perspective change? Did your visible conscious mind change from subconscious to conscious level? Did your inside suddenly move a training, a learning, a visibility? Did you suddenly become superhuman? No, like you literally had a shift of perception. And at that moment, your mind was moving something you consciously were thinking about of subconsciously, excuse me, into a conscious mind, a conscious activity. You sort of like you took it off the back burner and put it on the front one, right? And because of that, your mind is now gone to work even if you don't recognize it, looking at your environment, identifying things you didn't identify before. We call it training your brain. There's actually a technique in which you can train your brain to start looking for things you've never seen before, even when you're not consciously realizing that you're doing it. And as you get trained to do that, products start to appear everywhere. So much so that I challenge people to sit down and find 500 of them in 21 days. Most people will do that just fine because once they start to shift that mindset, into the recognition that they are not only just a consumer, but someone else had sold them that product who was a seller. And what was the intent or the solution or the purpose behind why that seller was giving me that product? So I got to change my mind from a consumer into a seller. And you got to get into looking at products as selling, not consuming. And it's a shift in mindset. And once you start to get that mindset together, you have to remember that I need to sell these products at a profit. We call it going by the numbers. Okay, so once I'm evaluating the question whether or not I should sell this product, I've got to make sure it's profitable. So I decide I want to sell this bike seat or this lamp or whatever it is I want to sell. I need to know that I can get the product created for me because it's private label. So it's going to be my product. I'm not doing what's called white label, which is slapping my label on someone else's pre-made product. And I'm not doing retail and online arbitrage and wholesaling someone else's product, someone else's brand. I'm actually building a brand, intrinsic value intellectual property, and of course, upside potential, I'm building an asset, an asset that could be valued much, much more later on when done correctly. So as I'm looking at this product, and I'm considering that and I'm putting it into a what we call our spreadsheet for green light processing, I'm looking at about 47 data points of that product from its pricing to the market to the retail. Now I'm starting to think, okay, can I sell this product. Is there somebody in the market already selling this product? Can we go get their data? Yeah, you actually can in Amazon, you can take our software and go pull back all that data and say, okay, there's three other products sort of like the one I was thinking of. Uh, I bought this one and here's two or three others. And now I start to consume that data and start making data decisions, data-driven decisions. Okay, now the emotions are off the table, right? I sort of know who I'm selling to. Now I just got to make sure that the data works. And if the numbers go through to the end, okay, and they are profitable based on a criteria that we help you set, 
And one of those is literally a minimum of $12 in profit per unit. That's my Cheta. That goes to my bank account, right? Every two weeks after I pay for the product, after I market the product, after Amazon takes some seller fees and after logistics and all those other costs, I get money in my pocket, <laughs> right? And that's what I'm making every two weeks out of every unit that sells. And of course, the more units I sell, each of those stacks on top of each other. But I got to make sure it's profitable and the market wants it and that I can sell amounts of them. So I look at market research and we determine that the product we're looking at is in demand. Amazon is selling so many and we can see people are actually moving those products. And we have an equation called similarity plus familiarity equals trust. So I'm looking at a similar market. I'm looking at creating a familiar product. And I know that Amazon is going to be the trust mechanism in which I put that brand new brand into the market that no one's ever heard of. And that people will buy that product leveraging Amazon's trust. Right. So we don't have to guess they're leveraging Amazon's trust to get to my product. Why? They know the Amazon ecosystem. They've already been purchasing it just like you. They know that if for some reason things go bad, there's recourse. They can call customer support. They can ask for a refund. They can do something. All that trust mechanism we leverage to get in front of the customer. Okay. We call it don't marrying your product, which is basically don't get caught up with the idea that every product I put in the market is a winner and that I need to stay married to this winner for my life. What I'm looking at is the data points and this product, okay, is okay to live for a certain amount of time, but then it's okay to kick that no good domestic beating violent product out of my house, <laughs> right? And move on. That's okay too, right? So you can steal someone else's girlfriend from Amazon, okay? Now again, I'm married with children. This is just an analogy. Uh, you can steal someone else's girlfriend in the market and determine whether or not it'll sell for you. And then you can divorce that product really quickly and move to the next one. If you understand that process of testing and methodology, you will never marry your products. Most of Amazon sellers who fail, literally in the six to 12 months, they get involved in this business, usually less than six months and fail at it and quit and leave. They get married to their products. They put too much money invested. They think that product is gonna love them. They say, oh, that product, well, why he hits me, he still loves me. And they keep <laughs> pushing that product in the market while it's abusing them, okay? And like a jilted lover, eventually they wake up and realize I gotta leave this product and they grab their gear in the middle of the night and run away. <laughs> Don't be that person, okay? So those three things tie into what should I sell? And when you do that correctly, there's one other component, all right? Amazon is literally a river of traffic. It's also a river in the wild but it's also a tree okay and in the tree uh, of uh, amazon there's this big tree called the kapok tree if you've ever heard of it or not it's the largest tree in the world you might not have ever seen one or even looked up a picture or even understand what i'm saying if you have gone to disney world and went to epcot and looked at the big tree in the middle of the park where they do all the laser light shows it's a kapok tree so you've probably seen one you just didn't realize the largest tree in the world but amazon's a big tree it's a big tree it's a big technology of what we call a filing system. And in that filing system are all these little drawers and cabinets. They're called departments, they're called categories, and they're called nodes. Down here at this little node level, if you remember a minute ago, we call it a niche. Niche to node, they're synonymous. Meaning that somewhere down in Amazon's taxonomy filing system of this big Kapok tree is these products that live down in there that are brand driven. They have great profits. They got there first, but in most instances, they have no idea what they're doing. They just got there first. That's why they're selling more. If you come in with better marketing, better profitability, and a better brand position, a unique selling position of that product, guess what happens? Amazon's already looking for more. They already want more of those products. So we give them more. We're not fighting the system. We're just giving it what it wants. It rewards us. It rewards us with traffic and sale in 24 to 48 hours on brand new brands with no reviews that no one's ever heard of. And then it starts to help us prove which of the products 
are the best products. So we take a product segment out like this, like a big funnel, kind of looks like a funnel like this. Um, and everything kind of goes in the top and we test those products first, because again, the market is smart. It knows what it wants. We're not smart enough to tell the market what it wants. We're smart enough to read what the market wants and then find out what it's deciding that it wants. And we give it more of what it wants. We're not arguing, we're not fighting with it. So as those <laughs> products go in and the market starts to say, hey, we want the extra large black one that comes with the tote bag or whatever. And now we want more of that. It makes it all of a sudden very obvious to be like, well, those are the five products that sell and make up 80% of my revenues. And oh, by the way, they're all really profitable. I didn't have to guess, Amazon told me. And when we follow this methodology, our game plan, we have a goal of putting five products in a brand within 12 months or less. It's called our five by five game plan. And it really is about a base case that five of those products sell an average of five units a day. That's it. Five units a day. That's it. Across five products. When they do that, you can have a six figure profitable year. It's about $109,000 a year in profit when you do it correctly. That's what we call our base case. If your base model is hitting those metrics, then you know that all you have to do is rinse and repeat the same metrics that made that number. And then you can continue to scale from there. You could do it over 12 months, you could do it over nine, or you could do it over six, you could do it over three months, however fast you want to go at that point, however much capital you want to deploy, how many more products you want to put in, it's just a matter of scale, and it's just a matter of time. And so we call it our platinum principle. That is literally that the business can be built from the beginning with the end in mind, that you can make it profitable and cash flow it during the time you're building it, and that it has in 24 months an upside potential and exitability that when it's got at least 13 to 15% or more in net profit, EBITDA, I'm getting into a lot of technical terms here, forgive me, profit, money I'm taking home every year, okay, after earnings and interest before taxes and deductionizations and amortizations, blah, blah, blah. You guys go look up the term <laughs> on Google. Um, it is basically what I take home in a year. And then I can say, if I exit that business, okay, I want to sell that business to someone else, it is worth between three times the profit to four times the profit. The higher my profit, the more upside potential I have, the better I've documented and built my business correctly, the easier it is for a buyer to come in and say, bam, I want that business. It's worth 3.7 times the profit. Here's your check. You're out and then, you know, you're out of the business, which is a, a next step goal for these companies. Businesses were meant to be in short term. They were always meant to run short term. They were never meant to run in perpetuity. You can go Google that one too. That's under constitutional law. But anyways, the businesses are meant to be grown. We follow the same complex. We follow it in sort of a virtual real estate format, which means we can build this virtual real estate. We can cash flow that real estate. And then we can choose to exit it or continue to cash flow it to growth. We can build another one and another one like a franchise. We can just keep stacking those brands on top of each other. And we can build more and exit more. And that's the basis of our platinum principle, um, which has to do with similarity to a uh, a golden parachute, if you will, from a corporate world where you reach the pinnacle and you know your end result is here's your jet or your car or your house or your stipend and go off and have your great life. Ours is as you want to, you pull the ripcord. It's the platinum principle. You pull it when you want to because you're the owner and you can decide when you want to pull that. And so we set people up with the whole ability to go through that process and rinse and repeat that process. And so that's one of the major components of those steps. Uh, to finding products. How much time does it take? Because that's a big one. One to two hours a day, especially if you're using some of the services that do the product research for you uh, and move things forward. Then we show you how to set up the business, get ready to launch the products and do the marketing inside of Amazon. So you just follow the steps, paint by numbers, you rinse and repeat that process. It doesn't take a terrible amount of time. It actually takes you less time later 
when the business grows to scale. Why? Because we have a one person or two people in a business selling to millions of people on Amazon. <laughs> so you don't have to try to do more work per se to try to reach more of those people because the system when done correctly is showing you to more of those people and you didn't do anything to make that happen. Okay? You can enhance it through marketing activities. You can enhance it through front end retail pricing or raising you know, prices to increase profitability or fixing supply chain things to increase profitability and kind of handling that as the business owner. But for the most part, we're handling marketing and logistics. You get to a seven, even multi seven figure business in about five to 10 hours of work a week. And that's a proven model for us. Neil, it sounds like if I understood you correctly, though, that you're sourcing these products yourself. You're going out there somewhere. You're going to China, Literally. to Peru, to wherever, and you're finding someone who's going to make this stuff for you or someone who's already making it that's going to make it for you specifically. Correct. That's, that seems like maybe the, a complicated aspect of it. It is one of the more complicated aspects if you're going to go at it alone. If you're going to set this thing up and try to get your own agent, go to your own manufacturer, do I trust them? I got to wire money to somewhere else. Do I really trust China or can I get that product somewhere else? Uh, you know, how do I deal with those? How do I find that? It takes years. It takes years to build those things up. It can for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, it, it takes relationships. It takes trial. It takes error. What if you could skip all that? What if someone had already spent millions of dollars creating that? What if somebody had all the relationships already and the agents that could talk to you in English anywhere in the world and negotiate with manufacturers that are already producing proven products? What if all that supply chain was already handled? How much faster could you do it? How much easier would it be? That's one of the things we've done. We've spent all this time building up our infrastructure with multiple sourcing agents, with multiple products, multiple manufacturers logistics companies, warehousing on the on the relationship driven side. One of them uh, owns uh, a warehouse who is a student of mine <laughs> who has it and we send products into it, right? Because that's what they do is help uh, manage that because they set it up because they wanted to go faster and easier with their products. So they set up a warehouse and then turned it into a logistics company um, that helps move products and move them into Amazon and get them in manufacture. We help people skip the three to five years of time it would take them to do it and the hundred thousand to millions of dollars it would take to put all that in place. And we send them right to our trusted contacts, giving them that ability. So it can be complicated as you go it alone. You got to develop all that yourself. Sometimes you can just walk into relationships that are trusted with people who are already spending millions of dollars um, and bringing in 40 foot containers all the time and show you exactly how we do it with the people we do it with. And so does that limit your product? Um array are there is it sort of certain things that you already kind of have in place certain categories yeah so i'll tell you it's really it's actually easier to go in verse and just tell you what i don't sell um and for <laughs> what reasons because i sell everything else so i won't sell electronics um we won't do clothing and we won't do supplements um so the reasons are we've sold in all of those and i've had clients that have sold in all of those and of all the product types and categories you can sell in e-commerce uh within amazon they are more complicated they are heavily uh labor intensive customer support intensive innovative like in especially in the electronics you got to constantly be moving into that next gap someone can right, move right. in and overtake you with a feature very quickly so they're complicated they're burdensome they take more cost and infrastructure to get moving 
clothing is just lower volume, it's typically a very high return Sizes, product. And unless you've got a really good marketing influence of some kind, a brand influencer or a Kardashian to back you, you're going to find yourself struggling a lot with that type of marketplace unless you get really unique in your, your clothing lines. And typically you see some of the biggest clothing type of lines and stuff coming out of the influencer market. So yeah. unless you have that, you probably don't want to tackle that. Now, supplements. Um, natural and immunities and organics all wonderful subscribe to all of it however in the world of ecom in the world of mega mega conglomerate uh, conglomerates of pharmaceutical companies etc you'll be very fascinated to find out that they may have ethic policies for their employees but when it comes to market competition they don't <laughs> so when it comes to you fighting them on amazon you're gonna lose it's just that simple unless you are established prior to them getting into an area they want to go into or you're not taking up market share from what they want they will play dirty. We we had a supplement company for a while. I mentioned we had some great products that were going on. We bumped heads with the wrong people on Amazon. And one night we woke up to the thousand one star reviews on our products, right? They play extremely dirty. Does that happen very often? No. Is it something of urban legend that's kind of pulled a narrative? Yes. <laughs> Is it the same kind of urban legend that says, well, Amazon's going to steal all your products? That's also an urban legend that happened to like one person. If you go look up the history of that, you find out, well, actually maybe two people to be sincere. Both of them were not brand registered. Both of them did not have trademark. Both of them did not have unique selling positions. And of course, like any seller in the marketplace, they were ripe for comp competition. Amazon just happened to be the one that competed with them. Turns out they ran a crappier product anyways. Most of Amazon's <laughs> major products and basics products has the lowest ratings in the marketplace. And most of the sellers understand that, right? They're just cheap stuff. So if you want something more quality, you go to a different brand. So again, some of these urban legends and stuff are all about, you know, go to the YouTube and look at the gurus and all the complaints and stuff. And you'll typically find private label businesses who have trademarks and IP who are playing in the terms of service and are running a great brand and great business don't have those problems. But we're also not the majority of people doing that. So the majority with the online arbitrage and flipping products for profit and wholesaling somebody else's brand and playing in the system in the black hat, gray hat area of the terms of service or getting shut down. They fill up the forums with negative messages. When you back it in, you typically find they're doing one of those seller types and they're the ones screaming the most about how they hate Amazon and it takes all your profits and it doesn't work. And this is a sucky business model. When in actuality, there are plenty of proven e-commerce brands, profits, et cetera, that are doing just fine, not playing in that, what I call Amazon's mosh pit, that yeah. dirty, nasty, stinky place at the front of the retail, everybody are slamming into each other. And it's all a fight with the guy who's got the tattoos in six, four, and it's all sweaty, nasty. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Uh, on Amazon, that's typically $30 or less in price point, $30 and less in price point or flowing into Amazon's brand types. You're going to be running into that mosh pit of dirty, nasty products. And that's where all the gurus and YouTube seem to want to take you because it looks really sexy on the revenue side. Looks really bad on the profit side. And most people die on that hill in four to six months. So if you're going to tackle this, don't do that. So how, you were talking before a little bit, you were saying about PPC, pay-per-click. Are you doing that on um, doing like advertising of these products outside of Amazon? Only when the brand matures and we know the product has matured itself within the market. And we know that in the market, we have a good market share within Amazon for the products in which we're selling along with the right profitable metrics on a 90 you know, quarter basis and an annual basis run rate for that product. At that point, we can take it out to a Shopify, another store, a paid traffic acquisition from you know Facebook or TikTok or Google AdWords or somewhere else. 
and acquire more of those customers either before they get to Amazon or after they decided they didn't want to buy an Amazon or some ecosystem because the truth is most everybody validates products on Amazon. Back in the day, you remember it used to be if you're a legitimate company and you're not in the yellow books, you're not you're not true. And then it was, well, if you don't have a website and you're not in the yellow, then you're not a legitimate company. Well, if you're in e-com today, if you actually don't have an Amazon brand and I saw you on YouTube or Google or somewhere else, I'm I'm a percentage of them a relatively high percentage, around 17 to 18% every month, they're going to go from your click dad traffic over to Amazon. And they're going to trust that authority and buy it over there. Yeah. So it's kind of like this is the future of e-com. It used to be websites. Now you got to have an Amazon brand because everybody wants to validate you're legitimate and they trust that customer support and process, right? So yeah, you're going to want to do that later on once you prove it. So Amazon has its own pay per click system inside of it. Mm -hmm. um, it once upon a time was very bad. <laughs> it evolved later on as they hired more Google engineers. And so now <laughs> it looks a lot like AdWords type of Google keyword traffic management, all within Amazon's traffic and inventory. Now they're even expanding that into other websites. So they're bringing on more inventory um, from other websites around their ecosystem. And they're really going after kind of AdWords as a campaign strategy for physical products. They're the largest buyer of, of AdWords campaigns. And they said, well, hey, what if we just try to use that associates and that affiliate marketing component of all, all these websites we have. And what if we pulled that all into sort of our own, you know, what's called inventory and that's people who were looking for these products. And then we let you market your products inside of Amazon on a pay per click basis of mm -hmm. a profit and traffic mechanism, and then um, get you sales on Amazon. Now, the really cool thing about this, which most people don't understand, and I probably giving away way too much on this call, but okay, here we go, <laughs> uh, is that I can actually rank my products inside of Amazon with that paid traffic. There's nowhere else on the internet I can do that. When I run Facebook ads, it doesn't rank anything. When I run Google AdWords, it won't rank on Google's search. If I run Amazon PPC campaigns, I can rank for the top keywords inside of Amazon for organic. So not only will I get conversions on a click by click basis, I'll get them from the organic traffic. So this was what's kind of fun about this interface that maybe people don't understand. The other benefit is if I take that sideways and let's say I don't want to mess with Google and search engine and all that other stuff outside of Amazon. When it ranks inside of Amazon for a keyword and I'm the kind of the top competitor and I'm the man in that place for that product, guess what it does? It shows up as the number one search result for that keyword on Google. So I just ranked it, right? This domain authority is way higher uh, and more powerful than I could have got on my own. So now I got my search engine taken care of. Well, the other beauty of it is that's being shared across other algorithms like YouTube. So once I rank on Amazon for that keyword, and once I know I'm at the top end for that keyword on Google, what am I going to do? Take that keyword to YouTube. And I'm going to target that keyword because people already are searching on Amazon and they're searching on Google. So then it shows up in YouTube and guess what happens? Send them back to Amazon and they buy more product. So it's not a complicated ecosystem we're developing. It's not a massive amount of funnel testing and other stuff. You're on a trillion dollar funnel already. Right. You're already in a you know, buy everything in 30 seconds or less mode. I don't have to go over here and do customer relationship, you know, optimizations and all this other stuff. I got to be the best one inside of Amazon. And then I let that ecosystem take me out into the world. Yeah. It's interesting. When I first started, I used to do importing. And oh, so yeah. I had, I was very early adopter of Amazon. Um, you know, I used to sell my stuff on Amazon. And one day I was just like searching around. I mean, I never knew a lot about e-com or anything, but I was searching for my products just to see how things were going to show up and stuff. And I, <clears throat> on Google, there was a sponsored link from Amazon and it was my stuff. And I was like, oh my God, you know, so it's exactly what you're talking about. But um, 
yeah, I don't think you're right. People don't realize that if you've never done anything in Amazon, if you've never tried to sell your stuff inside Amazon, you might not realize how they're promoting you as they promote them themselves, right? It's very powerful. I've had uh, I've had a show up one time on ESPN and I didn't do the marketing, right? There was my product on ESPN and the outdoor gear, and I had a friend actually call me and tell me, hey, did you know you're on ESPN for your product? I'm like, how'd you know that? He's like, I just saw it come up. I'm like, I didn't know that. There's 125 plus billion prime members. They send out email blasts. When you're the great brand inside of your niche running a very good product, they will send you out to their email blasts. They will even pay for targeted traffic on Google AdWords. They will give us brand account managers inside of the system to help us expand our brand even farther. Why are they doing that when they're not doing it for other people? We're registered brands, registered businesses. We have our intellectual property. We have our trademarks. They want to work with good brands. Again, if you're fighting the system, it's going to fight back. Right. Um, I literally just got an email. It dinged on my phone a second ago. That was a friend of mine who I warned him his account was going to get shut down because he's playing in that retail online arbitrage space. And guess what it says on his email? God bless him. It says help. I, my account got shut down. So I got to go help him after this fix his account. Um, it literally, honest to God, just happened. Uh, so I'll go help him with them after this. But again, if you're playing against the system and you're fighting the system, sure. Short-term cash, I w let's look at this real quick because I, I hate to pontificate about it too much, but it has relevance to your question. If you play by the rules in some ways, there are ways you can manipulate the rules and bend the system without breaking it. Let's like use a matrix analogy for a second, right? You can bend the spoon without breaking the spoon, but if you just go straight in and bend the spoon and then you flip it back and forth 10 times, it's a good chance you're going to break it. Yeah. And you can do that in any component of this business model. But within Amazon itself, if you play by its rules, it will give you the reward. If you play within that system they're wanting, they will market for you all over the place. If you're focused on the right avatar and you're serving them profitably with good products and you're in the system promoting as the best product for that and your customers are reciprocating with great reviews, you will win in this system. You'll win very well and you can win extremely fast. Okay, there's a con, and you know this. So let's call it out so people don't go, well, you didn't mention anything about shipping and logistics. <laughs> there's a downside. <laughs> what? Like, I know about that. This guy's a, this guy's a fraud. Um, <laughs> no, it really, it is a problem. We all know that. Stores are showing up, you know, and having some trouble. Supply chain is a bit of a trouble. That can be perceived as a very big con for someone to get involved in this business. Having been in it for a long time, dealing with the issues, dealing with the daily, my business partner runs the operations and logistics, and he helps our clients sort it out and works that relationship continuously to ensure we do it. We built in redundancy. We don't just source from China. So many people default. There's a lot of stuff you can get from many locations. It's not China where you don't run into that. And the narrative about three months ago was all the ports like Los Angeles and stuff are all backed up and you can't get any product and it's going to be nothing's going to show up and blah, 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 blah. Well, that was the narrative that died in the media and it still hasn't been updated. But in the background, it's all updated. It's updated because mostly it's gone away in those areas. And by the way, there's Seattle, there's New Jersey, there's Florida, there's other places to port your ships to get product. So product is still moving, even though it's slowed down a little bit. It just means you got to be a little smarter. You need that support and history and that experience of people around you who have those connections and redundancies to help you overcome it. And then it becomes an opportunity. Why? When I have product in the market and another business's product falls out, guess where the people go? They didn't go away. They didn't stop buying. If in fact, they didn't have all the money right now to do it because they do. Then you show up. <laughs> You're there. You're the only and, one with inventory. Hello. <laughs> yeah. So do you win? is the opportunity by staying in inventory. And that is actually the opportunity for this model as people are 
racing downstream where the salmon that are going up. Of course, our goal is not to get eaten by the bear. So as we're going upstream, we're, you know, we're cautious and we watch what we're doing. We make sure it's going on. But that is our opportunity and it is a growing opportunity, as I mentioned earlier. And it really is going to differentiate between strong brand, strong business people that you want to align yourself with versus if I'm just getting started and going at it at my own, I'm going to fight people like me. And I don't want to do that. And you probably don't want to do that either. <laughs> so, Neil, how does it work when someone decides, okay, I want to do this. I want to, sure. I, I want to figure this out. I want to work with Neil. How, how does, what's the first thing that happens? How, how do you sort of go yeah. about that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, my life, my, my partner's business, our life and our, our business structure is very much to stay within the lifestyle while creating high performance relationships with our customers that are performance driven in the way that we coach and mentor them. We don't let everybody in just because you have the money you want to join doesn't mean you're going to get involved. I don't have a sales team. I keep it invite only. I talk with every person. I want your history. I want your background. I don't want your first attempt at business to be a failure under my model. I'm not here to teach you how to learn to be a good business person. I'm teaching you an opportunity to take advantage of a business track that I know that works. So if you come completely net new, I'm going to have some questions. I'm going to make sure the expectations are right. The mindset is right. Not just the money because the money can be found. There's plenty of money to be doing things. That's an abundance component. Money is literally everywhere. That's not really the point. The point is, will you be tenacious? Will you find your way through it? Are you going to be teachable? Are you going to work the process? My most successful people are ones who didn't question at every step of the process. They took imperfect action, figured out what was going on. Then it clicked. They had their, oh, that's what he meant when that happened. And then they discovered their way through it. Okay. Even if the English is their second language, even if they don't have a lot of business experience, even if they've ever sold on e-com, I've got people that are all of that from 19 year old high school dropouts to second English speaking individuals with no business experience. It literally gets down to their tenacity and they're willing to follow the process. So. We have a question, a convert. We have a time together. We talk, right? We find out what's going on. I invite them to be a part of it. They choose to RSVP or they don't. That's okay. The process is pretty set. My talents, skill set, experience, my partners, and the way we do things is not based on other people's budget. It is based on the experience, the connections, and the drive. It's getting them to a performance-based goal in 12 months, not 12 years. It is accountability to the process and the mechanism, and it is a path from beginning to exiting all the way through one location, softwares, tools, and people. And then it's an opportunity to learn that model like a franchise, okay, like a multi-tenant building, like a short-term rental, and go do it again. Get as many doors as you want. Get as many buildings as you want. Get as many brands as you want. You can repeat this process and skill set. And oh, by the way, if you get trained in this and your brand is moderately successful, maybe it's making six figures a year and you're like, okay, you know, I, as far as I want to go with this or whatever, there are job, there are a hundred thousand job wrecks looking for people with your trained skill set who will pay you more than six figures a year, literally, to go be that person's operator. So if you want to go do that, now you have a skill set that you can actually deploy and be employable if employable is the route you want to go. Those are all things we train people how to do. We have them have a conversation, they literally talk with me, and we find out if the next steps make sense or not. Cool. And then you're helping them to choose the product and you're helping them, you know, assuming that they're a fit, you're like just walking them through, okay, let's Every choose step. the product. Let's figure out how we're going to, you know, um, who's your, if avatar. they want to do the product research themselves, we teach them how to find their cars, train their brain, do that product research. Okay. Go out, use the tools, follow the mechanism. The products will identify themselves in time as you work the process. That's part of learning. You still need to learn that. If you want to expedite that, maybe time is of an issue. Maybe you want to skip the product research. 
I'll hand you the product. We'll show you why it, the way it is. You'll select that product and send it to sourcing. And oh, by the way, why that's happening, you're then going to be trained on why that product is what it is. You're still going to learn to understand why this product is a, a good one versus another one. And then you literally go to my sourcing agents, right? They're ready to go. They can find that product at the manufacturing. You get your samples. We teach you how to launch it. We test it in the market. We find out which color, shape, and variation is going to be the one that creates your cylinder. The cylinder is like, I, I know I put things in and they always fall to the bottom versus I'm starting with a funnel. So I'm going to throw out some products that are all in this market. And we're going to make sure which ones are the bestest, not that they don't all sell, but which ones are the best, highest profit, highest ROI. And then we just keep filling more products into that cylinder and we rinse and repeat that process. And it literally is a four-step process to getting to six figures expected because my performance in the done with you capacity, not done for you, okay? And the done with you capacity is that we're not going to get paid the rest of our mentoring fees until you hit a performance goal. So I put some skin in the game. That's why I'm not choosing everybody to be involved in this, right? Yeah. I want them to know they're going to work the model with us to success because there's a performance and goal oriented aspect of the objective and key results we're going to go after to obtain together. And then we're going to spend some time. Some of my people, I literally got off a call with a guy who I've known for eight years since I first trained him. And he's one of many people that I still take in contact with in this business model. Nice. So Neil, what would you suggest like next steps for somebody who's like is saying, oh yeah, yeah. this is what I want to do. Right, right, right. Well, I, you know, do your due diligence, please. I encourage you. I'm, I'm encouraging you. Go Google my last name. Go Google my first name and last name. You will find me. And American was now, you know, Twat Airlines got sold to American. <laughs> You're going to find some of that stuff too. You're going to find my social media is my LinkedIn. You'll find my Facebook, et cetera. Do some diligence. Find out if we're in alignment. More than just business. Find out if we're alignment as people. Then you can go to voltagedm.com. You'll find the links on all of my social media stuff. Go check it out. There's a free training that goes into the details, more detailed, uh, with my business partner and portfolios, Kevin Harrington. Uh, it's a guy from Shark Tank, as seen on TV. He's involved in our portfolios. We did a training together in there, and you can go check it out, uh, that talks about how we scale these businesses, how we've done it, and how we grow it, and all the details and requirements are within there. And then... When you watch that, if you want to consume some podcasts or other materials on YouTube, I encourage you to keep listening and find out what you want to do. Then you just text me. There's a link down there to text me personally. Book a discovery call. I'm still going to text you before the call and, and talk to you a little bit. Uh, and that's really as, as difficult as it gets. So you can go social media me or go to voltagedm.com and connect and we talk. Excellent. And of course, all those links are going to be in the show notes. So you don't even have Very to good. remember or write it down or anything. You can just That's right. scroll through the show notes. Very Neil, good. so what, thank you, first of all, for all that you share. This has been really interesting and eye-opening and like, you know, just like some things I knew about, but then it just starts to like expand and grow and like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yes. what do you wish I would have asked you? What did I, where did I fall down? What was something that you want to share that I just didn't touch on? Um, what, you know, that's a great question. Uh, cause I actually have to think about that. I don't know that you didn't. Ask <laughs> me it's like, what questions do I not know to ask you? Um, <laughs> I hope I covered the pros and cons. I, I mean, maybe if you wanted to ask anything, cause I, I want to make sure people have an expected balance of this. There are challenges. There are challenges to any business model. I mean, if, if I was here talking to you about going and being a realtor and brokering and finding properties to rent and stuff, there's a lower inventory quantity now. And there's a challenge in that business model too. Every business has its challenges. I think that the one thing you didn't ask me is, you know, what would someone need to know in order to get involved in e-commerce? Maybe mm -hmm. like what specifically, why me? Why would I do it? Why would I do it with you? Or why would I do it at all? Most people have chosen to do it before they reach me. They've done their diligence. They've been thinking somewhere between two to three years on average. 
um, before they reach out to us and before they open a communication and dialogue with us. They have been questioning it. They're business people. They understand what's going on. They're savvy in the things that they do. They thought, okay, I want to get involved in this online thing, or maybe I tried it a little bit and didn't really have the right support mechanism or people to talk to, or I really didn't have a mentor. I kind of took a program or something and nobody helped me through the rest of it. Or I literally just think this would be something I really decided I want to do this year. I want to divest. I want to get in and I want to get involved. It's sort of a next step for me. It makes a lot more sense when we talk. It, there's more alignment. And, and yeah. it's literally, again, people have chosen to do this model. I will not convince them to do the business model. I'm not convincing them to work with me. There's, there is no sales in this. There is choice. There's choice for you to do the model with, with me or without me. Uh, and there's choice for you to get involved with me or not, depending upon whether I think we should get involved and whether or not we agree we should get involved. So... Yeah, Excellent. Keep, keep it pretty simple. Excellent. Thank you so much. This is, I hope that listeners, I hope that you've like started to think beyond the, so this is what I, this is almost like, you know, virtual real estate, right? So you're right. You, you're, you're sort of you're buying, you're building an asset, you're fixing it up, you're selling it, you know, you're getting yep. people interested in it. You got the cash rents really high. Now you're like, all yeah. right, let's flip it. <laughs> exactly. Or hang on to that cash flow and grab another one. And the lower one that's not maybe cash flowing as much as the others, I'll sell it and use that cash to push up the other model or do the next remodel. Yeah, it's it's a virtual real estate. Uh, it has an asset base, which is one of the things we absolutely love. If you're looking to take cash out that's depreciating at 1% a month or whatever and put it to work somewhere, and maybe you decided you want to try another stream versus another property rental or whatever. Um, you know, real estate uh, inventory is one of those assets. It's an asset of physicalness. I, it's bought at a cost of goods, but I can sell it for three, four, five, ten 10 times what it's worth, similar to any other asset or any other thing that I'm holding on to of physicalness. That's what I like about this. It's a hedge against inflation too, because sure. in, I can move my real estate around. I can change my pricing. I can adjust to the market. And when I have the products that are you know needed or in demand or available, I can switch my pricing to adjust to that market. Right. And that's one of the benefits of this type of model. Yeah. Definitely more light on your feet than a physical building. <laughs> I have no employees, no warehouse used to, I had 20,000 square feet of warehouse space, had 12 employees. We were running trucks and doing returns and all of that stuff created an 80 hour a week work job for me again. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my gosh, how did I get the life lessons? How did I get back into this again? My private label company is doing great. I don't even touch the products. I got virtual assistants. I'm just checking in on it. And all of a sudden you have that moment and you're like, shut this down. So, you know, after 18 months of that, we shut it down. Um, the money, the profit, and it just created a job. But it's one of those things we had to really figure out if we could scale and do. And maybe some people who are listening to this are playing with product flipping and they're doing that kind of stuff, wondering if I went to scale, if I grew this up, well, just huddle up for a second, okay? If you push it to 10 trucks a week, if you push it to 12 employees and 20,000 square feet of workhouse, you're going to be working a job for 80 to 100 hours a week with employee issues and sexual harassment claims and warehousing products and refunds and all that stuff falls in your lap. Yep. And you say, say to yourself, could I do Amazon better than Amazon does Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steal that question. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. Right, awesome. Well, thanks so much. I know. Um, yeah, you're welcome. I know you got a lot out of this, everybody who's listening. So please remember to share this um, episode with somebody who you know is entrepreneurial and who potentially has been thinking about e-com and is ready to do it right. And be sure to be here next week when we're going to have some other cool person who's going to really rock your world. <laughs> Neil, thank you so much for being with us today. This is awesome. Thank you, Christine. I'm honored and I appreciate you taking your time with me today. My
pleasure.